from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Coming up, a former Ipswich Council executive and more recently councillor with Scenic Rim speaks out about why he resigned last month and the negative impact the Office of Independent Assessor is having on the ability for councillors to be councillors. Derek Swanborough joins the show. It's Sunday, March 5, 2023, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Derek Swanborough is no stranger to local government, both as a senior executive at six councils and two terms as a councillor with Scenic Rim Regional Council. He also had a tilt for mayor in 2012 and was unsuccessful but ran again for councillor in 2020 and was elected for Scenic Rim Division 1, centred on Tambourine Mountain. It is surprising then he felt compelled to resign his councillor position on February 21 at a council meeting. His role as a current term councillor has been quickly erased from prominence on Scenic Rim's website. Derek Swanborough was also my immediate supervisor at Ipswich City Council in the period 2006 and 7. In common with Ipswich and many other Queensland councils is the amount of disruption caused by the state government's councillor complaints body established in 2018, the awkwardly named Office of Independent Assessor. Thank you for speaking with Ipswich today, Derek. Uh, Thanks, Alan. I'm uh, happy to have a chat. What was behind your decision last month to resign your hard-fought councillor position with Scenic Rim? Well, Alan, my resignation is directly related to the litany of complaints, probably unjustly lodged against me to the Office of Independent Assessor, which is approximately 70 in the last three years, including two just before Christmas, one as recently as January 27th, and there was actually one just the day I resigned. So, yeah, they kept on coming. We'll come to that in more detail further into our chat, but in reviewing the Scenic Rim Councillor Conduct Register since March 2020, when the last election was, it's currently up to 53 pages of complaints. Now, yes. interestingly enough, the first complaint listed on August 2020 is about yourself. So what I read out of that is, it seems that councillors were kind of getting on with each other in a professional manner in the first few months, and then the wheels fell off. What changed? Uh, look, I think I think Alan, it was the the uh, revelation to me about the the way business was being conducted at the council. I was completely shocked, as you have correctly said in your introduction. You know, I've been in local government now for forty three years, and I've worked in six different councils. And when I saw the way that, that uh, transparency did not exist in the scenic room council, I uh, lodged a series of complaints with the Ombudsman, the Department of Local Government and the OIA uh, concerning the Ill- illegal meeting processes that were occurring where, whereby all the deliberative processes and the decisions except for the voting were, were being done outside of public media scrutiny. 
Many thought the new complaints mechanism that was created in 2018, I'm talking about the OIA, uh, the intent was for the public to use it, but it appears mostly councillor against councillor. Is that a fair assessment of what's happening? Well, that's, a, that's actually a very true assessment. I think in the OIA inquiry recently, uh, the revelation from the OIA was that 50% of all their complaints are now generated internally uh, from within councils against councillor against councillor, which is a shocking indictment of the failure of the process in my, my view. You mentioned you had about 70 complaints, I think. Uh, how many have been dismissed? I think there's uh, probably well over uh, 60 complaints have been dismissed uh, at this point in time, and there's still uh, 10 or so, maybe, I think there could be even more than that. I think it's crept up with those latest ones that I've mentioned up to the 74, 75 mark. And I know that the OIA have threatened uh, and advised me that they're sending some off to the tribunal for consideration. I mean, some of these go back to... April 2020, would you believe? So that in itself is just a wrong process, that someone be, can be accused three years ago about something and still, you know, has to go and defend themselves against a complaint that's three years old. It's almost impossible to remember everything that happened, possible to remember the environment at the time, the reasons behind, you know, why things happened, Etc. Etc. So it's completely against natural justice to be uh, to be put in that situation. I thought the situation in Ipswich was bad enough with councillors complaining uh, <laughs> against each other. So basically, the OIA has enabled councillors to snitch on other councillors with very few genuine complaints coming from residents. That's uh, exactly right, and I know my residents on Tambury Mountain who are very very unhappy uh, that I've had to resign this way. Um, they're telling me it's a, it's an assault on democracy. They're, they're telling me that it, that it's a, it, it's a process that's uh, an assault on them uh, personally because they voted for me and what they've done to me, they've done to my constituents. And so, but yes, yes, they, the dobbing culture that exists under legislation is something that I've always been critical of the OIA, anonymous people can make frivolous and vexatious complaints and they're not, in my view, being picked up by the OIA. You mentioned you picked up some of the processes uh, in council meetings and meetings behind the scenes. So uh, I'm reading from that that you were trying to make things more open and transparent, but other councillors weren't happy with that approach. Well, other councillors may not have ever worked in another council besides the Senate Grim Council. And and the, the new councillors coming in, and I think I can speak for practically everybody except one councillor who's, who has been in there since 2003, uh, all the others have just come in and, and have sat under the, the same flawed process and probably think that's normal. So it was very difficult to convince them that that wasn't normal. And from my experience and my complaint to the department and the OIA and the ombudsman, you know, was that they were conducting committee meetings, committees of the whole, and these these committees were going for a day and a half, so say 12 hours at a time where everything that was going to end up going to an ordinary meeting you know, a week later, it was all dealt with 
in these confidential briefings. So the media couldn't listen, the public couldn't listen. And, and obviously, without that transparency and accountability, poor decisions are being made. And I, and I found that, that it was impossible for me to influence my councillors against a culture that took resources from Tambourine Mountain and used them everywhere else in the scenic rim. In more recent months, the state government appointed, and I, correct me if I'm wrong here, an advisor to Scenic Rim to make sure things are uh, on the up and up. Were you seeing an improvement before you resigned? Uh, well, I've got to be honest here. Uh, no, I no, I wasn't seeing that. And um, if I felt that uh, a difference was going to be made, I might have decided to tough it out and fight uh, some of these complaints that are coming up uh, uh, with large penalties. Um, but no, the, the answer is uh, I think the state government really uh, wants to uh, calm the situation, downplay everything, and just want the, you know, the, want the disunity to just disappear. The real reasons for the problems that we're having is the, <coughs> excuse me, is the culture. And there's a, a culture uh, in the organisation which needs fixing, and I believe it's a, a political fix rather than an administrative one. Keeping on with the OIA, is there a better way to handle complaints from councillors and how were complaints dealt with before 2018? Yeah, look, the, the, uh, before 2018, the, there still was a, a complaints process, but they were basically handled in more in-house. Uh, I think the mayor quite often was the person who decided inappropriate conduct complaints uh, prior to 2018. And I, I was a councillor from 2008 to 2012 under that process. And I, I think I might have copped, you know, three or four complaints which were dealt with appropriately. Um, but now, uh, with the legislation as we have it, the councillors and, and staff and the general managers and the CEO and the mayor, they can all anonymously make complaints against councillors. Now, so, so what's, wrong with, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is they're anonymous. They should not be anonymous. People who make complaints should be able to be held accountable for uh, their allegations. And the second thing is, especially in a council situation where under the Local Government Act, the councillors themselves are charged with the performance of the local government. Now, if you're critical of the performance of a local government or a department or an officer of council, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you're obviously uh, going to, you know, generate a, a bit of angst and, uh, and it's, it's totally inappropriate that allows those very people that your performance managing to retaliate against you by shooting in anonymous complaints. <laughs> can you see what I mean? I, I can see what you mean. The whole atmosphere seems to be creating a situation where councillors, and I'm not just talking scenic rim here, we'll talk yeah. across the state, I think. Sure. Uh, an atmosphere where councillors are afraid to speak up and advocate for their communities. Uh, that is 110% correct. I mean, I think probably 30 or 40 of my complaints have been about what I write in the newspapers. I mean, I've always believed that that I should be honest and open 
and transparent to my constituents and I get to write a fortnightly column in a newspaper which has a circulation of about 8,000 households. And uh, I don't know how many times the tiniest little thing that uh, I said in there has been challenged or inferenced and, and, and my words have been skewed, misinterpreted. Even the OIA, you know, has been guilty so many times of accusing me of thought crimes <laughs> that, uh, that I, I've lost count. And I've gone to the OIA and said, how can you be accusing me of thought crimes? When I, when I asked a question and said, please, at the start of this sentence, and then had a question mark at the end of the sentence, how can you possibly interpret that as a statement and not a question? <laughs> you know, <sighs> things like that. And, um, yeah, and, and I've been accused of retaliating uh, because, you know, some of the words I've used – I think I said in a newspaper article once, uh, look, when the public get to understand the nature of these complaints and and whatever, you know, they're going to harshly, you know, judge the organisation for the way these complaints have been generated. Well, I had to battle with the IA for a month or two in relation to that because they said that was retaliation against unknown people or something like that. It, it was just a, a constant battle to prove your innocence under this current system, and that's what's totally wrong. The presumption of guilt doesn't exist. The OIA says, you prove to us that you're innocent, otherwise we're going to refer the complaint for further consideration. The report to Parliament, which was tabled last year about the OIA, made 40 recommendations. Now, with your experience... Do you think any of these recommendations can improve or strike a common sense balance how complaints are received and reviewed? Oh, look, I was very disappointed in the when I first read that report that came back because really they didn't address the root cause of the of the problem. And the root cause of the problem is that they've created a body uh, which is in the complaints business. I mean, why why would an organisation uh, encourage councils to resolve their own differences or to be adults and talk to each other about complaints and before uh, a complaint is made to the OIA, but it's the exact opposite. The OIA admit that they've set the bar for determining code of conduct breaches at a very, very low level. Well, why have they done that? They do that because it generates enormous amounts of complaints. And we've even seen out of the OIA inquiry to dismay of a lot of people that their resources have been increased and some of them have even got pay rises out of this whole thing, which seems extraordinary. If you're in the complaints business, you have the business of making sure that you still get plenty of complaints. And I think that's the wrong presumption. It should be the OIA is judged should be judged on the, the number of complaints that don't come to them. So the fewer the complaints they get, they would understand then a KPI that says, well, obviously the behaviour of local government is improving because there are a lot less complaints coming in now than before. Well, that's the other issue, isn't it? The un other unintended outcome is that uh, there are all these complaints across the state, whereas prior to 2018, there was a, a small number. Yeah, well, I've talked to CEOs, Alan, and um, and and my 
colleagues in other local governments whom I've worked with for over decades. And whilst there is this legislation which says councillors have a duty, uh, NCEOs have a duty, if they suspect anything of the slightest nature of a breach of the code of conduct that they have to report it, well, I can tell you three or four of uh, my colleagues who control in uh, executive management positions in local councils, they say, no, no, we're not doing that. We're going to, you know, be adults and we're going to talk about these things and we're going to resolve the complaints uh, and we, we stop them going to the OIA. Well, I've suggested that to the OIA. Why don't they think that's a good idea? And um, they point to the legislation and say, no, no, this is what the legislation says. So in many respects, that's true. And um, then you've got to point the blame at the state and say, well, why are you doing this? Don't you know that it's destroying the industry? How can you have good relations between your colleagues as they all want? Mm. And how can you have good relations with your staff and everything if everybody's dobbing on each other? Here's a blunt question. Should the government then scrap the OIA and start again? I have said that. Um, I made two submissions to the OIA inquiry and they were both uh, extremely lengthy and they outlined my experience so far, but one had to be confidential. But I, I, I'd suggested that, yeah, this model is not right and it needs to be revoked and start again. I, I don't think you'd have one state government politician that would think that if it was applied to them that it was a good idea. The Councillor Conduct Tribunal is there, but it's a two-step process to get there, the OIA first, then the tribunal. So could the Councillor Conduct tribunal take on that role? I think they probably could. And, and, you know, the surprisingly thing is that misconduct charges, you know, the OIA has to to make a case, a legal case against the councillor if they believe misconduct has been done. And, and then they refer it to the tribunal. And then the tribunal, you know, can, can consider it. And then if you don't like the decision of the tribunal, you can escalate it on for review or appeal, you know, to QCAT, and then if they're going to take drastic action, the, the QCAT decision can be appealed to the magistrate's court. And so there is a proper legal process through the tribunal. But what we found and what I found and what I complained about is that the legislation is flawed at the moment in that it says this little line there that a penalty for inappropriate conduct, which which could be, you know, you sent an email and you, you didn't use polite language or something like that. Mm. Uh, it can be sent to an investigator who will spend $5,000 investigating it, interviewing all the people in the room, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you're found guilty of inappropriate conduct, the legislation says that the council can fine you for the cost of the investigation. Now, that cost from my experience in the scenic rim, is on average of about $4,000 for every complaint. So the councillors themselves can decide if they want to be, um, they, they want to retaliate against you. They can say, well, yeah, you're guilty of that, cough up $4,000. Now, in uh, I think it was the, gen the December meeting of council, they had five complaints lodged against me all investigated by external investigators, and most of them recommended $4,000 fines, which were the cost of their investigations. 
against me. So for four of those, one was that I wasn't guilty, and I think this is all on a council agenda, so it's all public information. So there were four that they recommended I pay the the costs. Now that would have amounted to $20,000 worth of fines from the council if it had gone ahead and I would have absolutely no appeal rights in that situation. Well, it begs the question, who would want to be a councillor? Uh, look, I even said that in my press release when I resigned. <laughs> you know, People need to know what they're getting into. But it comes back to the culture of the organisation and I think it comes back to honesty as well. I found from my own personal experience that the many of the complaints that were lodged against me, and you can see with you know, nearly 60 dismissed complaints, honesty is the casualty of the OIA process. If they want to retaliate against you, if they don't like what you're saying, if they don't like that you're trying to reform an organisation, if they don't like that you want to keep the rates down or improve customer service, then they, they have a tool where they can punish you. And the OIA, which is supposed to be the, the prosecutor of the complaints system in local government, becomes the persecutor by the process. So what's next for you now that you've resigned? Uh, look, I'm not going well. I've lived on um, Tambourine Mountain for, uh, I think, 37 years now, and uh, I won't be going anywhere. Um, I'll be interested in, uh, and still interested in the politics and uh, whoever is my replacement. I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, you know, you can always call me and get some advice, background information, whatever. Um, I can't get involved in sharing knowledge anymore that uh, I obtain confidentially, but I certainly can use my experience and uh, history and local knowledge to assist whoever is a replacement for Tambourine Mountain. So other than that, Alan, I'll be playing golf and doing a bit more gardening and... Getting more of a suntan. I'm going to do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Spronborough, really appreciate the time you've taken and uh, thank you very much for speaking with Ipswich today. And much appreciated, Alan, and keep up the good work and really appreciated the, the time we did work together those days back at Ipswich and uh, it leaves me with many fond memories. All the best, Derek. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music. Or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.